Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Our Father, your word commands us, keep yourselves from idols. And Father, our prayer this morning as we study this glorious psalm is that you would do that. That you will send us out of here, men and women, whose hearts are guarded from idolatry because they are filled with praise for you. Amen. Decisions, decisions, eh? Gee, I don't know about you, I, I sometimes find that the hardest thing in life, actually, is not, is not doing stuff, it's deciding what to do. Anyone else feel like that? That it's actually the, the decision-making process that can be the hardest thing. And uh, sometimes you hear, don't you, that in the 21st century Western world, we're, we're cursed with the luxury of choice. It's, it's difficult, you know, what job should I do? Uh, where should I live? What should I study? And a lot of the stresses and strains in life uh, are made up of choosing, of making decisions. And I've got good news for you this morning, because Psalm 115 will have none of that. There's, there's no difficulty in the choice that is presented before us in Psalm 115 this morning, so we can relax. It is, it is as easy as a decision could ever be, the choice that is presented before us this morning in Psalm 115. It is the choice between trusting in dead idols that leads to death and trusting in the living Lord that lives, leads to life. Uh, you could put it like this. I, I think that the majority of the psalm uh, certainly sort of verses 2 to 15, I, I sort of thought of it myself as, as this kind of a giant sort of spot the difference uh, puzzle. You know that you're having kids, puzzle books, spot the difference, a really, 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 really easy and obvious 
spot the difference. Okay, you're not going to have to be sort of fishing for your reading glasses to try and to try and work this out. Okay, so we'll go. We'll dive straight in. We're actually going to start really um, at verse two, and then we're going to come back to verse one at the end. So I've lost the page. I think it was page six one five, wasn't it? Keep keep the psalm open. Uh, we're going to work through it. So Psalm one one five. A trust. First of all, the first picture, if you like, in this spot, the difference. A trust that leads to death. So straight in there at verse two. Why do the nations say, "Where is their God?" Okay, this is the this is the the, the choice that is introduced. It's introduced by a taunt uh, to the nations around Israel. This psalm was probably written sort of um, sometime after five. What was it? 539 BC, which is when the nation of Israel came back after the exile to Babylon. So it's probably written about then, and the nations around are taunting them. They're saying, your invisible God, where is he? They're saying, look at our impressive gods, our statues, our temples, our shrines. Look how impressive they are. Why don't you worship them? Our gods are the ones with the real power. Our gods are the ones who have it within their gifts to to give you what will make you happy. Whereas following your invisible God got you. That is the taunt of the nations. And the reply that comes back in verse 3 is is uncompromising. The reply that comes back is, our God is in heaven, verse 3. He does whatever pleases him. So the reply of God's people that comes back is this. Do not mistake invisibility for inaction. Do not mistake invisibility for for detachment or lack of concern or ability in the day-to-day runnings of life. You cannot see our gods because he is in heaven, but the freedom of action of our God is unmatched. Verse 3. He does everything. He does whatever pleases him. By contrast, you nations, verse verse 2, sorry, forgive me, verse 4, their idols are silver and gold. Just the idols of the nations, the small g gods of the nations are just, are just lumps of metal. Verse 4 carries on, made by the hands of men. These are, these are earthbound gods, if you like. These idols, the small g gods, are just, they are merely, they are nothing more than the product of human hands. Oh, the nations can proudly point at their physical statues and their temples, but the tone of this psalm is, oh, you foolish people, you're asking me to bow down to that lump of metal that was chipped and forged and set in place by human hands. You're asking me to worship that thing as my hope for good and happiness and salvation rather than the living God. You're asking me to choose your inanimate figurine over my eternally happy and self-giving God. You're asking me to exchange the glory of the immortal God the images made to look like man and birds and animals and reptiles. That's the, that's the taunt, that's the challenge of the nations around Israel. And it was nothing new, of course. That was the same 
challenge, that was the same temptation that, that Solomon's wives presented to him where, when they said, oh, worship the gods from the countries that we come from. It was the same taunt or temptation that um, the Philistines gave to the Israelites when they said, oh, bow down to Dagon because our God, the God of the Philistines, is powerful. It's nothing new. And of course, it's the same challenge or taunt or temptation that now, 2,500 years later in London, we're presented with, isn't it? It's, uh, it's the audacious claim that the idols or sort of small G gods of our society are worthy challengers to the living God. Now, of course, the, the small G gods in our culture don't look like statues of, uh, of birds or reptiles. But they are there. They are there. I had a bit of fun with this. You can, uh, you can tell me afterwards whether you, you agree with this choice of the small g gods in London today. Uh, idols that, that, just like back then, on the surface seem more tangible than the invisible God. Idols whose claim that they can provide us with ultimate happiness is often so alluring, but idols ultimately that are, that are earthbound, that are man-made. So I wonder what you think, the small g gods of our nations are today. I wonder if, you could, if we recognize the, the twin god and goddess of Nike and L'Oreal, the, gods of, uh, the god and goddess of beauty. So if you want your youthful looks to last forever, you bow down and worship at the gym, or you bow down and worship at the makeup counter. Or uh, the god Bowden, the god of fashion, uh, if you want other, if you, if you care about how you look and how you come across to other people, perhaps you go to the high street and bow down there. Or the god, the goddess Careerus, the god of, the god of your job. If you, if you have anxiety about, oh, I just, I just don't know whether I've, I, I've made it or amounted to anything, then you give your, your, your toil and your time to the goddess Careerus and she can bestow her blessings on you. Yes, you are important. Look at your job title. I think, I th- tell me if you disagree with me afterwards, but I think those small G-gods are, are alive and kicking and, and worship of them is, is alluring for us. And of course, those, those small G-gods uh, of, of London today, they seem more sophisticated than those, uh, those statues of old. They seem more subtle, more, more impressive. But one thing hasn't changed, as we said, all of those small g-gods, all of those idols are, are what? Well, verse 4, they are, as we said, they are man-made. They are made by the hands of men. And so, yes, in some sense, they, they, they offer you whatever it is you want. But ultimately, their, their power amounts to nothing. Verse 5, they have mouths but cannot speak. So if money is your small g-god, well... Money cannot speak to you about what is true reality. Money cannot lead you into, into truth. Verse 5, again, they have eyes but they cannot see. Your, your career, our careers can't, can't watch over us to care for us. Verse 6, they have ears but cannot hear. Your reputation cannot hear your prayers. Your reputation cannot empathize with you. In life's trials, your, your reputation cannot 
share with you in, in joyful moments. Verse 7, noses but they cannot smell. Verse 8, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their mouths. Ultimately, small g gods, then and now, can offer no compassion. They cannot come to our aid. They cannot speak any word of comfort to us. And the psalmist concludes this, verse 8, with this warning. There is, there is great danger in putting our trust in these so-called small g-gods. Verse 8, have a look. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. That's, that's the principle. You become like what you worship. If you bow down to these small g-gods, you become like them. You become like what you worship. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats, nor can something that is dead. That that description of those idols is is a description of death, isn't it? So if you if you worship something that is dead, the warning of verse 8 is, well, you yourself are on the pathway to death. Listen to this, uh, listen to this I think, very insightful quote uh, from a chap called N.T. Wright, who some of you may have heard of. He's a theologian and former bishop. He says this, When human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. One of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners or customers rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, practices, their past histories and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. These and many other forms of idolatry combine in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives they touch. It's insightful, isn't it? But I think, you know, actually I think verse 8 would challenge N.T. Wright to go even further. He says idol worship is damaging to the image-bearing quality of of the people who commit it. But verse 8 would say, not just damaging, but it, but it it is deathly to worship small g gods. You become like what you worship. And if you trust in dead idols, says verse 8, You increasingly become like them, dead to human relationships, dead inside, dead to the joys of life, dead, of course, physically, because because what idol can rescue you from death? And most terrifyingly, dead, dead spiritually, because what idol can forgive your sins and carry you through the final judgment? So to trust in such idols is a trust that leads to dead, death. See, I told you this compare and contrast would be pretty easy, right? It's a bleak picture. When it's exposed, it is obvious. This is a, trusting in the small g gods is a trust that leads to death. But now the other side. Verses 9 to 15, a trust 
that leads to life. We get this beautiful refrain, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11. So you see how, you see how it repeats. You've got three groups of people. Israel, uh, sort of God's people. The house of Aaron, there's the, the priests, those who were in charge after exile. Because there was no king then, the priests were in charge. And then all you who fear him. That's kind of catch-all phrase for, for those who trust in the Lord. So you have, O house of Israel, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. It's a beautiful refrain. Uh, just a little bit, uh, something interesting. The, co- the commentators uh, are generally agreed that this psalm, uh, in its first instance, would have been used in worship, in the temple, or in the tabernacle. So it's, so it's a musical piece. And it doesn't take much, does it, to kind of imagine the sort of different groups of people singing. So perhaps you've got one, one group saying, a house of Aaron, then another group going, trust in the Lord. And then they go, here's the help and shield. You can see, you can see how it would work wonderfully to, to encourage people that, that if you're God's people, you trust in the Lord. See, he is the one who can come to his people's aid. He is the one who is to be trusted for help, not the dumb, blind, deaf, numb, lame, lifeless idols of the nation. The one who is above in the heavens, he is the one who who has eyes and can see, who can see evil, who can see what has befallen you. He is the one who is able to shield you, not the idols, not the small g-gods around us. And then verse 12, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. It is to him we are to look for blessing. It is to him we are to, it is in him we are to trust. Verse 12, he will bless the house of Israel. So these three groups of people again. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Verse 14, may the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. The Lord is the one who can do what dead idols cannot. He is the one who can give life, give a future, and give hope. And he can do that, end of verse 15, because he is the maker of heaven and earth. You see, what a, what a contrast. The idols of the nations are created by us, by man. And they lead to what? Well, no blessing, only ultimately death. On the other hand, you've got the living Lord, the one who is created by no one, the one who is the creator, the one who alone is able to give life, the one who is in heaven and does all he pleases. Let's just drop back to, to verse 3. Uh, we skipped over it really before, but that, that phrase, how wonderful. He is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. I mean, imagine that. Imagine there being no constraints on you being able to do what, com- what pleases you. No boundaries, no financial considerations, no, no running out of energy. And of course, when, when, when we think about a human being, 
being completely free to do what pleases them, it, it terrifies us. Of course it does, and it rightly should. But my word, to be God and to be limitless in being able to do whatever pleases you, that is a that is a truth that is glorious beyond imagining. That is a truth for us to know and savour about our God. No boundaries, no constraints, no limits on his resources, no compassion fatigue, no lack of imagination in how to bless, no addiction to power, no neediness, just the complete, unhindered, limitless, blistering desire and ability to do whatever pleases you. It's wonderful. And God has told us what pleases him. It's there in verse 1. His love and his faithfulness. What God is unhindered in doing is showing love and faithfulness to all of his creation and in particular his people. And that's this verse that causes John Piper to be able to speak of God as the happiest being in existence. He is the one who with blistering pleasure shows uninhibited love and faithfulness blessing those who trust in him with life. Do you trust him or you trust a lump of metal? Spot the difference? It's not very difficult. This is, this is the choice. You trust in dead idols, it leads to death. You trust in the living God, it leads to life. It leads to blessing. That is the choice. But actually, strangely, that isn't the choice. Or or what I should say is, there's there's even more to this choice than we might realize. So we move into our final point. The, The choice is between who gets the glory. The choice is between who gets the glory. I said we come back to it. So let's come back now to to verse 1. Listen to this, how how wonderful. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. A friend told me recently that one of the the godliest and uh, most peaceful Christian men he knew used used to start his day every day by rolling out of bed and saying that to himself. And what a wonderful thing, what a wonderful example that would be to follow. Except that obviously, I mean obviously, I hope you spotted it, the psalmist has got it wrong, hasn't he? It's very obviously a mistake in verse 1. Did you notice that? I mean, we, we spent the, the whole of the rest of the psalm is about the choice between God and idols. So what the psalmist really meant to write was, not to them, O Lord, not to them, these idols, but to your name be the glory. It, it does seem strange, doesn't it? You would expect it to say that. Not to the idols give the glory. But he doesn't. The, ch- the choice he makes before us in verse 1 is, is this one. We could have the next slide. So actually, if you trust in dead idols, what, what you're actually doing is, is seeking glory for, for yourself as opposed to giving the Lord the glory. 
You've got to ask, why is that? Why is it that trusting in a, in a man-made idol results in glory going to you and not to the idol? Well, the, well, the clue is in the name, isn't it? It's, it is a man-made idol. All, all of the small g-gods, whether they were those statues that were crafted by human hands or whether it is reputation or career, all of those idols are man-made. They are the product, they are the, the outflow of humanity. They're not external to us. All that they can ever be is the kind of outward expression of our, of our, of our hopes, dreams, insecurities, thoughts, desires, lusts, imaginations. So we, when we bow down to worship a small G idol, what, what we're actually doing, weirdly and perversely, is bowing down to worship ourselves. And what an awful thing that would be. Which is why the psalmist starts like this, not to us, but to your name, O Lord, be the glory. That is, this, this is the choice set before us. The question, though, we may have at this point is, well, you know, Matt, before you sort of slightly jokingly mention, you know, the goddess Carreras and Bowden and, and all that kind of stuff, but you said, actually, those things are not, they're not, they're not bad in and of themselves. They're only bad when you make that, that good thing into a, into a God thing. When you trust in that good gift from God as your ultimate source of happiness. Well, well, if they're, if they're, if, if they're not bad in and of themselves, how can I, how can I know when I'm making that thing an idol? That's the tricky thing, isn't it? And it'd be much easier if God gave us some good solid metrics at this point, wouldn't it? If you spend more than 13.5% of your annual disposable income on a holiday, then the holiday is your idol. If you spend more than 61 hours in the office during the week, then your career is an idol. It'd be, it'd be a lot easier if there were some of those kind of things. But it isn't that. Idolatry is, of course, a matter of the heart. That is at the level we've got to diagnose it. I suppose one way to diagnose it would be to ask yourself this question. Uh, when, I, when I think of whatever it is, career, reputation, house in Surrey, can I, can I ever imagine being happy if that thing was removed or denied me? Uh, and if I can't, then I, uh, I think I'd want to say we're, we're sort of verging into into the wrong side of that table. But actually, as we finish, let me, let me just point this out. The, the closing verses of this psalm give, give a slightly different diagnostic, or pr- at the very least, the other side of the coin. The, the diagnostic in this psalm as to whether you are trusting in small g idols is, is nothing more and nothing less than this. Are you praising the Lord? So look, verse... Verses 15, sorry, beg your pardon, verses 16. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So yes, God has made the heavens and the earth. He dwells in heaven. That's what verse 3 told us. But for us, here, now, in life on earth what is our duty and what is our joy well it is to extol the lord it is to praise him 
As the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, what is the chief end of humanity? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And of course, verse 17 tells us, it is only the living who can praise the Lord. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. When it comes to the praise of God, the the dead... The dead are silent, just like their idols. The mark of whether you're on the right side of the table, the mark of whether you're not on the path to death is whether you can praise the Lord, because dead idols can't praise him. Therefore, our our praise or lack of praise of the Lord helps diagnose which side of the table we tend towards. When something good happens, are we quick to attribute that blessing to the Lord? Do we praise him? When help is needed, are we quick to call on the one who promises to hear? When we need protection, are we quick to fly to the one who is our shield? Or do we rob him of his glory by, by praising our man-made idols and lurking underneath, praise ourselves? as the source of our happiness, help or protection. You know, I've said all along, haven't I, that this is a this is an easy choice. This is sort of spot the difference 101, spot the difference for dummies. And of course, in the ultimate sense, it, it is the most obvious choice in the world. But I take it that Psalms like this, I take it the whole Bible wouldn't need to be written if it was a choice that we found easy to make, would it? Because day by day by day, we feel the lure of those small g gods. Psalms like this are written to call us back to him. And of course, standing here today, we are in an even happier and more blessed position than this psalmist. We have seen more of the living God than this psalmist had. We've seen Jesus, the Son who far from being a dead idol made in the image of man, was man who imaged the living God, the invisible Father in the heavens. So we talk about these dead idols. Jesus had a mouth, and he used it to reveal the deepest mysteries and truth of all reality. Jesus had eyes, and he used them to look with compassion on people who were spiritually like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had ears and he used them to hear the cry of the lowly as they sought him for mercy. Jesus had hands and feet and he allowed them to be pierced with nails that he might take the death that our self-glorifying idol worship merited. And as he did that, the sound that we heard from his throat was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And far from being a dead idol, Jesus, we are told, could not be held by death. And he rose again. And we are the people who, alive in him, praise him now and forevermore. So that is the choice. That is the choice before us. That is the choice that the psalmist presents us with the aim to keep us from idols. It is no choice.
Praise the Lord. Let me pray. Our Father, keep us from idols, we pray. Keep us from idols. Keep us from those small G gods that would promise us so much but would lead us down that road to death. Make us men and women who are quick to flee to you for help, for protection, who trust in you and who love you as the living, all-happy, self-giving God who is free to do whatever pleases him who is free and who is committed in all circumstances to showing love and faithfulness to us, leading us on the path of life. Amen.